Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. On July 31st, this upcoming Saturday, the Church celebrates the Feast of St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Society of Jesus, better known as the Jesuits. And this year, the feast is extra special. Why? Because we're in the midst of an Ignatian year, a celebration of the 500th anniversary of the cannonball strike that shattered Ignatius' legs and ultimately set him on the path to conversion. Today's guest, Cameron Bellum, has been doing a lot of reflecting on the life and legacy of St. Ignatius, both in her own prayer life and in her professional work. She's a columnist for us at Jesuits.org, a poet who each month writes a beautiful prayer poem. You can find them in the Spirit and Verse series on our site. Now, how she came to be a renowned prayer poet is a pretty good, pretty cool story. And we talk about it in our conversation today. But that's not all. Cameron has also been working on a really exciting ebook initiative. It's called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, a callback to another poet, Gerard Manley Hopkins, SJ. And it's a small volume we hope you'll use to accompany you and your own faith community throughout the year. As Cameron shares, she worked with a number of really cool, great voices from across the Ignatian family in the United States and Canada. I'll say one last thing. Cameron has a PhD in Russian literature, and she puts that on display in our conversation in the most compelling way, inviting us to consider how towering figures in the Russian literary tradition can help us unpack some well-known themes in Ignatian spirituality. If you want to get your hands on your own copy of our new ebook, just visit jesuits.org slash ebook. I'll put a link in the notes. Now, here's my conversation with Cameron Bellum. And hey, happy Feast of St. Ignatius. Cameron Bellum, thank you for joining us on AMDG. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, looking forward to chatting with you. I want to start um, with a question I'm really excited to hear the answer to. During the pandemic, you achieved um, a degree of fame, kind of, <laughs> kind of surprisingly. Uh, I, I think surprising to you. I'm not saying you don't deserve the fame. I think <laughs> I'm excited to hear about it. But I want to hear the story because it's, um, it's kind of, it's kind of wild and crazy. So tell us about your pandemic fame. Okay. Yes, it is. It is one of the stranger, stranger but more wonderful episodes in my life. Um, so um, we live in Seattle, um, where COVID nineteen made its first landfall, and uh, this was way back in uh, March, early March of twenty twenty. Before we really knew what was going on, we just knew that. Um, Things were about to change in a in a really uh, scary way, so it was. I think it was before schools were canceled, um, but we really had no idea of the scope of it. Um, but at the same time, um, panic was uh, was beginning, and there were already very um, on the news. There were photos and, and videos of people in very long lines at Costco and people kind of elbowing each other for the last bottle of um, the last bottle of hand sanitizer and, and things like that. And there was already this, um, I think this very natural human instinct to for, for self-preservation to just grab what we needed. Um, and I was just washing dishes one afternoon. I think I have to keep washing dishes 
Holy Spirit often shows up in that moment. Um, but I was washing the dishes and I was, I was thinking about what was happening. People were just starting to understand like, okay, I think I might have to cancel this trip and I might not be able to do this. And what's going to happen with my workplace and my, my children's schools. And I was thinking to myself, okay, um, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We're very fortunate. My husband's able to work from home and I was not really working at that time. Um, and I thought, okay, we'll, we'll be all right. Um, I'll be, we'll be able to manage our, our, our childcare. But the very next thought that I had was, but what about everybody who's not okay? What about everyone who, was already kind of on the razor's edge of okay with things like having enough employment, being able to pay rent, health care, uh, child care. And I just thought, oh, okay, well, what can, what can we do? And um, I, I think that response to grab what we need and slam the door shut behind us is very human and I'm not immune to it. Um, right. It's a very natural instinct, but um, I, I just the general message and and um, feeling of that moment, I think, was um, kind of gather in your own and, and and shut the door. And I just I just felt like, no, um, there, there's another way that we can respond to this and just thinking about the 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 self-sacrificial nature of 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 the gospel and and of the love of Jesus and um so I wrote this prayer, basically kind of calling us to this more, um, this more gospel centered, uh, focus in, um, responding to this crisis, basically calling us to, um, put our inconveniences and our, and our fears in perspective of the people who are suffering right now, very immediately and, and a call to, um, a call to care for them and a call to make sacrifices in order to care for the most vulnerable among us. So um, I scribbled this prayer out uh, in a, with a dying Sharpie. <laughs> I took a picture of it and I put it on my Instagram, my very small Instagram. And I kind of moved on with changing diapers and making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I didn't give it a second thought. Um, and I didn't, I didn't even write my name on it. Um, and I just sent it thinking, okay, well, this is where I am. And, and this is something that I want to say. Um, and then it just blew up. Um, very, very, uh, surprisingly, um, I started getting messages from, um, people all over the country and then people all over the world, mm -hmm. um, who had read this prayer and been encouraged and, um, people who wanted to ask if they could use that prayer in their services and their liturgies, which was really moving to me and just the, the, um, the breadth of it, the, um, the ecumenism, I think of the, of the prayer was really deeply encouraging to me. It was a moment when we were very, very divided and yet finding this one thing that could bring us together. Um, and so eventually I wrote my name on the prayer and then, very in a very on brand way. I spilled coffee on it. Um, I still have it with with coffee spilled on it, and I was able to kind of come out of my very small um, Instagram uh, corner and say like, "Hello, um, I wrote this, and I'm so happy to meet you. And anyone who wants to use this prayer can use it um, however they want to use it." And then um, 
the beautiful thing was in this time of isolation that I made so many connections um, with the Jesuits, but also with um, people in the Episcopal Church and um, just people in lots of different denominations and faith traditions, um, and also just individuals. And it was a really, um, it was just a really incredible thing that happened. And um, I still find I wrote a viral prayer one of the stranger sentences in the English language, but, um, so it I wonder was, how many other people can, can say that sentence. <laughs> yeah, there were some, I have another friend who wrote a really lovely poem <laughs> that went viral. That was kind of, that was kind of also a prayer. Um, but it was a really beautiful, encouraging, um, moment. How, how did the writing of that prayer and the subsequent community that kind of assembled around it help you uh, to process and work through uh, those early days and, and in mid days and late days of, of the pandemic? Well, I, I don't think we can ever overstate how scary that time was and, and, and still is, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, it's a massive tragedy no one is untouched by it um and i was so heartened basically to be connected with um with basically just such good-hearted people all over the world and people who were also wanting to say okay well i'm i'm fine how can i help basically um and at th that time uh we have um we have two young sons and right after I wrote that prayer and um, it started spreading, uh, we actually all got sick with the flu. Um, we don't think that it was COVID, but when that happened to keep everyone else safe, we were not going out. We were, we used to go on walks. We weren't even going on walks then. So we were just really, really isolated. And it was, um, I just felt so buoyed really to be, uh, connected um, at a time of such isolation and social media has its many, many, many drawbacks. But I feel really grateful that in this moment, uh, something really good and beautiful came out of it. Yeah, no, I, I and I mean, the connectedness can't be can't be overstated. Do you happen to have that that poem prayer in front of you? Oh, yes, I do. Complete with coffee stains. Great. Uh, <laughs> would you would you read it for us? Oh, sure. Sure, it's called Prayer for a Pandemic. May we who are merely inconvenienced remember those whose lives are at stake. May we who have no risk factors remember those most vulnerable. May we who have the luxury of working from home remember those who must choose between preserving their health or making their rent. May we who have the flexibility to care for our children when their schools close, remember those who have no options. May we who have to cancel our trips, remember those that have no safe place to go. May we who are losing our margin money in the tumult of the economic market, remember those who have no margin at all. May we who settle in for a quarantine at home, remember those who have no home. As fear grips our country, let us choose love. During this time when we cannot physically wrap our arms around each other, let us yet find ways to be the loving embrace of God to our neighbors. Amen. Amen.
I, you're just hearing it again. It just, uh, it's, it's, it was powerful then, and it's powerful now because it really brings you back, I think, to that to the moment. Like you said, that shared moment we all had of, of, of fear and uncertainty, and certainly that's not entirely in the past, but I think there was something about when you wrote that and the, the memories it stirs. Um, it's very powerful. When I when I met you, I, I guess I assumed that poetry was your was your background, um, and may, maybe it is. But you're you have a PhD in Russian literature and language. That's 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 correct, right? Uh huh. Um, which I think is awesome. So can it you? It was fun. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about how? Um, you know, in, in in typical Ignatian fashion, right? Kind of the discerning the spirits and and finding the you know God you know moving us in in different directions. How um, you arrived to study Russian literature and language, and then and then how your 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 passion and, and, and talent for poetry and, and and this you know writing kind of emerged, and and how you find yourself now, um, you know, doing all this writing. Uh, how how did all those things kind of come together to form the person you are? Yeah. Um, well, I think I always was. Um, I always was on the the literature side of my of my subjects in school, um, and when I decided to study uh, Russian in college and then in grad school, um, there was something in the the depth of it, you know, that cliche of the Russian soul that I, as a as a young teenager, was drawn into, but then found a lot of um, depth and and richness. Uh, to it, which was really wonderful. Um, and there were uh, a lot of things during that period of study that I can now look back and say were really quite Ignatian. Um, uh, Nabokov in particular has such a magnificent attention to detail and wonder and really um, even though he was not at all a person of faith himself, he kind of taught me, I feel like, how to see, um, how to see these, uh, these tiny things and to see the world as this gigantic canvas that you could always zoom in on a detail of and find something beautiful and worth pausing and celebrating. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, the, the giants of Russian literature, I don't think anyone really enters into the mystery of human consciousness the way that Tolstoy does. He was really a master at that. Um, but I am I'm really a Dostoevsky person at heart um, and have always been drawn to the way that he enters into the mystery of suffering, basically, that he's not afraid to go into what I think of as the, the dark underbelly of, of human nature, basically. Um, and he climbs right down there in the darkness and then lights a match. Basically, that's my experience of Dostoevsky. Um, and then I have to say my, my favorite um, theorist is a formalist uh, critic in the early 20th century named Viktor Shklovsky. And he has this beautiful theory called, um, in Russian it's astraninia, but it's translated either as defamiliarization or as estrangement. Um, and that leaving out of the N and estrangement is kind of, this is kind of intentional. Um, and basically what that theory was, was that the goal of art is to see things anew, mm -hmm. is to make the stone stony again, to be able to 
enter into a way of seeing something you've seen a million times and um and and having fresh eyes for it seeing the component parts of it or thinking about it in a, in a contemplative way although i'm sure he wouldn't use that term which of course is very ignatian especially in this ignatian year when we're called to see um to see all things anew in christ and um i wish that i could tell you that it was a a beautiful process of discernment from me having this degree in Russian to um, writing poetry and writing prayers. But actually, as I think about it, it's really, it's really also a very Ignatian story that I, uh, I, I wanted to do other things. And before I started writing poems and prayers, I spent a lot of time in spiritual direction, sometimes with my, with my baby kind of crawling around on the floor with me. Um, feeling really dissatisfied that I wasn't able to be part of a lot of the ministries that, um, that I wanted to, to do at our parish, that I wanted to be there for the racial justice book club. I wanted to be there at the correctional center. Um, and I, I wanted to, I just, I wanted to be there doing, um, all of the all of the the Jesuit works that our parish is connected with, and I just physically couldn't do that. My kids were little, and um, it's just hard for me to get away. But my spiritual director, um, who was trained specifically in Ignatian spiritual direction, she would always bring it around to. But what is God saying to you here? What what is the message that you can hear from God, and what are you learning here in this time? Um, where you, you feel like you can't do the things that you want to do that you wouldn't be able to hear otherwise. And so all of the way all of this happened was really kind of accidental, but also um, I think a return to my truest self because writing is the way that I pray. It's the way that I process the world. And I'd be up in the middle of the night um, feeding my baby a bottle and, and thinking about theology. And I just, it just, was something that I felt like needed to be put on paper. So um, like Ignatius, I wanted to be a swashbuckler for God. And I ended up being <laughs> sent on another path, which is truly, I feel, um, you know, a path that brings together who I am and um, a very specific way that I have of engaging with the world and with God. Um, but I sort of ended up there unexpectedly. and. Um, I think it's um, um, Hans Hans Peter Kolbenbach who who tells this story about how it's about Moses and and about how God passes by and how it's sometimes easier looking back to see the way that God is passing by than it necessarily is in that moment and that's kind of my that's kind of my story. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it's beautiful, and I um, yeah, there's was, was so many wonderful things in that. And that bit there, but you know, I, I think looking back and seeing God at work in patterns in your life—that's what I've always heard from my own spiritual directors. You know, it's it's of course easier to see looking back, but um, but but as you kind of chart a path forward, you can kind of almost feel the the muscles returning and and oh, I've I've been here before, I've done this kind of thing before. This is where the Spirit is calling me um, to be and to do. So, can you tell us a little bit um, more about your journey? Um, uh, with St. Ignatius, maybe even your encounterings of St. Ignatius and, and how, uh, you know, that, that encountering with Ignatian spirituality has, has it, you know, continued to impact your life? Sure. Um, 
I I feel like I have a very dim memory as a child of of um, looking through a child's book of the lives of the saints, and uh, which was probably a, a first communion gift or something like that. And um, I remember re- I remember the dim memory of reading about Saint Ignatius about him kind of like lying in bed and reading books about the lives of the saints. And I kind of had this inception moment like, hey, I'm reading a book about the lives of the saints. Um, (laughs) I would watch that sequel to Inception, just like I'm reading the saints and the saints are reading about the saints. Yeah. Am I? Is this a dream? Well, you know, St. Ignatius is so encouraging like that. I I feel like... um, his story is so approachable, but for the most part, I really did not encounter St. Ignatius until I was well into adulthood. Um, I was raised Catholic and went to Catholic school, but then um, in my teenage years, I left the Catholic Church for about eight or nine years, and I was in the evangelical non-denominational church for a long time. And uh, during that time, what grew in me was a very deeply personal, um, deeply intimate relationship with God. And um, in my mid-20s or so, I really felt called back to the church for a lot of reasons, Um, the Eucharist and the liturgy and um, the saints and the mystic tradition. And I, I knew that that's where I was being called and going back to mass felt like going home to me. But I was very afraid um, that I was not going to be able to have that same deep, intimate relationship with God that I had known before. And um, what happened was I went on a short retreat through my parish at Berkeley, which was run by the Paulists, who are really wonderful. And I basically just expressed those fears to my spiritual director during this retreat. And even just saying them aloud, I could feel that that wasn't true. So that was a really beautiful moment, but it wasn't until probably five years later, we were living in LA and um, we're at a parish that wasn't a Jesuit parish, but happened to have a bunch of Jesuit events um, with Father Tree Den, who runs um, who runs Christus Ministries down there. And that was the first time I had ever heard of St. Ignatius or really Ignatian spirituality, the idea of finding God in all things, the idea of being a pilgrim, um, the examine, consolation and desolation. And I was just like a kid in a candy store. Um, And it was incredible to me to discover that this, um, this intimacy with God was not only something that I could find in the Catholic church, but that it had existed for 500 years. And it felt like this integration of um, just some of the, some of the, deepest parts of my relationship with God. So um, uh, we live in Seattle now. We have a Jesuit parish here, which is wonderful. We have an Ignatian Spirituality Center. And just this last year, I did the uh, 19th annotation of the spiritual exercises online. Um, I think I think of St. Ignatius as the patron saint of adaptability. And I, I feel like he would approve of that. Basically. I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's been, I, so I'm, I'm still learning and, and growing and, and coming to kind of um, swim more deeply in the, the waters of Ignatian spirituality. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful story. I, 
um, there's a line in the exercises, I think one of the annotations, right, where Ignatius says that the, the, cre the creator desires to deal directly with the creature. And it's such like formal kind of distant language. And I, I had missed it in all of my huh. Jesuit kind of uh, formation education until I, I came back, until I came to the job I have now. Um, and, and returning to it, you're like, oh, wow, like, that's it's pretty serious. Like, there's like nothing between you and God like that. Mm -hmm. Like, the, like it's like the word intimate you used several times. I think that's I think that's that's just right. Um, but this desire on God's part to be just just ever present to all that we are and are doing, and even you were, you were discussing earlier, those like looking back and seeing those specific things through art. I, you know, and, you know, then then you then you layer this creature and and, and creator into it. And you're like, oh, God is just so intimately present. So. I love yeah. that so much. That's really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, it's a, it's something to you constantly kind of reflect back on, right? And yeah, that's one for a post-it note on the bathroom mirror. That's a good. One. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I uh, so folks might know that you write for Jesuits.org. Um, every month you, you write a beautiful new uh, prayer poem, um, and uh, and you've written as, as you do uh, another one for for this month. And this 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 episode, of course, is is for the the feast of Saint Ignatius, and you've written uh, a poem, uh, you know, for the feast day for the for the Ignatian year. So um, I wonder if you would would read that for us now, sure. uh, and then and then just just talk about it. Tell us your process and tell us you know yeah. what, what you are getting at with this with this prayer. Okay. Yeah. A prayer for the Ignatian year. Five hundred years stretch wide and coil in tight all at once, drawing us from our modern lives back to a battlefield, a cannonball flying, reminding us that we are pilgrims before anything else. Wherever we find ourselves on this earth, like us, breathed into being by divine love, may we never make the mistake of believing that we are far from you. In this Ignatian year, we are called to see all things new in Christ, even time, even space, even ourselves. Amen. Um, so with that one, I, w I wanted to think basically about time and space, to think contemplatively about time and space, about what divides us, but what also draws us together. And even though the human mind can never really fully understand that God exists outside of space and time, I wanted to, I wanted to try to enter into that a little bit. And um, the communion of saints is something that's so encouraging to me that um, that basically that, that reminds us that, that we, that we are connected through, um, different across the centuries and, and different times and, and, um, and different places. And I wanted us to also think contemplatively about ourselves, about our, our bodies and our minds and the ways that we are created for communion with the divine. Um, just the, 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 the deep mystery of that basically. And, um, and I was hoping to, um, en encourage us all myself included that we can find ourselves in Ignatius's story with all of its wild twists and turns and, um, disappointments and suffering. Um, but at, at its very core, um, driven by an incredible, tender closeness with God. Um, and, and basically just to hopefully encourage everyone, um, 
to know that there there's room for your story and and that God is present in your story whatever whatever it might be I love that there's there's room in your story God is present in your story I two lines that really jumped out at me from from your poem uh, reminding us that we are pilgrims before we are anything else I really I like that I love that imagery and again like that as you said like a story that our story is is a journey um and then also this other line uh may we never make the mistake of believing that we are far from you I think that's again just very much in line with what we've been discussing. I, I wonder if you might share a reflection on what this this phrase to see all things new in Christ, which is the the, the catchphrase or the, the kind of the anchoring, the, the reflective point of the Ignatian year. What does that mean to you to see all things new in Christ? How how do you approach it? Because you have it here in this poem, um, but uh, what, what what does it mean to you? Well, I, I to go back to Shklovsky, I It's in a way to make the stone stony again. I um, I mean. Every day we, um, I think it's St. Benedict who says, always we begin again. And mm-hmm. um, we're encountering things we've encountered a lot of times before. We're, we're, we're 500 years into um, Ignatian spirituality, basically. It's very funny. I was talking to a friend of mine recently and said, yes, 500 years ago, a man was hit by a cannonball and this directly affects my everyday life. <laughs> it's, a funny, it's a funny thing to think about. Um, but there is, there simply is something, uh, there is always something new to be gleaned there. I think about, I think about Pope Francis, um, calling us to be open to the God of surprises, basically. And I think that's part of it, um, that in Ignatius's story, there were so many, uh, new things and surprises that he thought, okay, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to spend my life in Jerusalem, or I'm going to, I'm going to go here and do that, or I'm going to try to return now to the Holy Land. And so many of his plans were interrupted and he was sent in a new direction. So part of, part of seeing things new in Christ is, I think, an openness to a new pathway that perhaps looks like a detour, but is actually the place that we're most um, meant to be. And it's like you said earlier, St. Ignatius, the, the patron saint of flexibility, right? Or ad- yeah. adaptability. Yeah. I think it's so good. I mean, it's, that's, that's spot on. Um, so speaking of the Ignatian year and thinking, speaking of exciting things, I know you have been um, really managing this uh, really cool initiative that, that uh, we at the Jesuit Conference are, um, are sponsoring. Um, so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about um, about what it is, uh, and again, again, the, what was the process? Because you worked with a lot of cool people, and um, and, and just got to get to do so many cool things. So, so tell us about the project and um, about your experience of it. Yeah, um, so it's um, it's it's an ebook on Ignatian spirituality. Um, it's called. Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, uh, which is a line from another great Jesuit, Gerard Manley Hopkins, um, a great, great poet. And um, it's kind of a map in a way through the year. It goes through all four seasons of the year, the um, the natural, the, in the natural world, but also through our uh, liturgical year. <laughs> so... Um, there are um, poems and prayers and essays on aspects of Ignatian spirituality and also um, really cool uh, Jesuit saints. And um, I've been working on this for probably um, 
six months or so. And it was a, it was a joy to dream it up, to think about the topics and then to think about casting a really wide net into what we think of as the Ignatian family. Um, so people who are involved in all kinds of Jesuit works, but also, um, but also people who are writers, people who are Jesuits, people who are, um, are lay people, both women and men. And um, the thing that was just so tremendously rewarding for me, um, uh, not only just getting to like interact with all these cool people, was the perspectives that they brought that I would say, okay, um, can you can you write us something on um, on discernment or the examine or um, Christmas or Easter or uh, something like that. And just um, having them all kind of start to flood in and really build a beautiful chorus um, coming from each of their individual experiences was really, um, really beautiful. I'm really excited for it to be out in the world. Um, and there, uh, there are pieces in there that I still think about every day. Uh, Vanita Hampton Wright has a piece on, on autumn and, that I think about almost every day. And um, James Martin has a great piece. Uh, Shannon Evans, who writes the Everyday Ignatian column, um, and uh, Brother Guy Kunkelmagno, who runs the Vatican Observatory. So uh, you have a really cool piece in there about the cannonball. <laughs> so it's a, it was just a really, uh, yeah, I just like to think about it as a, as a chorus of Ignatian voices. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I am equally excited about it, and I will drop a a, a sign up link in the in the notes for folks to to get their hands on on one. But um, you also have a lot of a lot of original new pieces in there too, so we don't want to leave out your your good writing. Um, but I, I I echo what you're saying. You know, it's it's, so, it's so, you know Ignatian spirituality is so old and and yet so ever new. It, it is that opportunity to see things new in Christ. And this, you know, you're getting this 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 writing initiative was a is a way to to see people with different walks of life, different experiences, different, um, you know, uh, connections to the Ignatian family, um, just offering their own, you know, little perspective, their own like little window into this, this vast project of Ignatian spirituality. And um, yeah, it's really exciting. So I, uh, I'm excited too for people to check it out. Yeah. What, um, just to kind of bring us to a conclusion here, what advice um, or insights do you have for folks who, who are new to Ignatian spirituality um, or who may have just heard the phrase Ignatian spirituality and know nothing more? Um, you know, what, uh, what would you offer them? Where should they start? Uh, what words of encouragement do you have for them along the way? Yeah, um, well, it's never too late to start. I, uh, <laughs> it's, never, it's never too late. Um, I was, uh, <laughs> it sounds silly to say, but, you know, compared to people who, um, who came up through a, a, a Jesuit edu education, um, I, I had a, I had a late start, but you know, the, the door is, is always open. I feel like St. Ignatius always leaves the door cracked for everyone. Um, uh, I would start with the examine, which is a really approachable, um, prayer, um, and it's kind of an introduction to um, inviting God in and recognizing God in your day and looking back um, lovingly together over your day. And it's a, it's a great way, I think, to kind of start to tune your antenna to the, the holy buzz that's in your day, the presence of God. Where did I 
feel closest to God? Where did I feel furthest away from, from God? What things were hard today? What things felt really beautiful? Where did I feel your presence? Where did I feel really uh, alone? Um, and just noticing those things basically, and then asking, um, and then asking God's help for the next day. I actually, and again, adaptability, I actually do my exam in the morning for the day previous because my kids are little and I'm exhausted at night. So that's how I start my day is by looking back um, previously. Um, but the, the book that was recommended to me when I first started was uh, James Martin's The Ignatian, the Jesuit, Guide to Almost, the Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything, which is a fantastic introduction. There's also um, Margaret Self's book, Inner Compass, which is another really lovely introduction. If you, like me, have sagging, overcrowded bookshelves and are not afraid to continue adding to them, those are two really great ones. <laughs> Just, just like strengthen the the shelves so they don't go down in the middle, right? Yeah, that's the, you just you got to tip. Put a put a little re, you know reinforcement in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cameron, this has been a lot of fun. Um, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your reflections with us today. Thank you so much. It's been a joy to be with you. We'll do it again. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Mike Jordan Lasky, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at, at @JesuitNews, on Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and at Facebook, Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>